Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. If you're an HR professional, no matter where you work, no matter where you are in the world, or you're looking to break into HR and maybe you need to do a little bit more market research or you want to stay on top of the trends, definitely check out Human Times. It's a subscription-based newsletter, and I've had the pleasure of connecting with some of their business leaders and um, it's an unbelievable newsletter. I get a lot of information from them. They're international so you can have the ability to receive news for your own country or region while also staying up to date on international news which I think is really interesting and it's fully based on or through the scope and lens of HR. It's a daily newsletter so every single day you can start your morning or your day with reading up on the current trends or headlines in the HR world. So if you're interested in subscribing to Human Times, you can go to industryslice.com and it's one of their top newsletters and you can basically subscribe based on the region or the continent in which you work. And they also have a lot of other newsletters that you might be interested in. So definitely check it out there. The link is in the description box below. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm doing a podcast only episode this week, so no video, but you can still catch this on YouTube. So if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to give this video a thumbs up and subscribe. If you're listening wherever you're consuming podcasts, then kind of same deal for you. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe as well. This week, I feel it's important to talk about what I call the blockbuster theory. And there are other theories called the blockbuster theory, but for me, the blockbuster theory, which I think I'm coining, I haven't yet seen anyone use it in this way, but to me, the blockbuster theory is when a company or an organization fails to adapt and uh, um, adjust their business model to the changing times and to progress. And so for me, the blockbuster theory is super important because we're at a time in the world right now where everything is kind of being called to change and adapt and progress because of the pandemic. And so whether that's the working experience, the workplace, the way in which we work, all of those things to me are changing. And in the same vein, if they're not changing, I think That's where the blockbuster theory becomes all the more important to consider. I have seen so many organizations adapting and progressing the way in which they're doing work. And that's probably because of the pandemic. I think it's absolutely um, a reflection of us working remotely or for the majority of us working remotely if we're not in essential businesses. Um, But I've also seen that there are a lot of organizations that are not progressing and adapting. I think one of the easiest ways to think about this is through the lens of what has already occurred. So to give you an example, blockbuster, right? Like this, we're talking about the blockbuster theory as I potentially am coining it. Blockbuster was huge, especially in the 90s when I was growing up. Like I loved going to blockbuster 
buying some candy, renting a movie, having a friend sleep over, et cetera, et cetera, right? But Blockbuster failed to adapt to the changing tides of society, and so they ended up having an outdated business model. So I found a really interesting study that was done by the University of Tennessee, and it's titled A Blockbuster Failure, How an Outdated Business Model Destroyed a Giant. And I will link this in the show notes in the description because it's really, really interesting. I didn't read it all the way through, um, but it really goes to talk about what I'm trying to get at here. And so I'm going to read the introduction um, because I think it does... um, kind of set the stage for what I'm trying to get at here. So it says, The rise of the internet in the 1990s and 2000s rapidly created new markets. Companies like Apple seized on the ability to distribute music online for a lower price than independent record stores, or even large-scale ones like Tower Records could afford, driving record stores to near extinction. A similar fate has fallen upon the video rental stores. Giants, Movie Gallery, and Blockbuster, driven by physical rental stores, began struggling to compete with streaming and mailing platforms. Both were driven into bankruptcy because they failed to adapt quickly enough. A series of poor choices by Blockbuster, including passing on the acquisition of Netflix for a mere $50 million, led the company to file Chapter 11 to reduce its roughly $1 billion debt. This paper tells the story of Blockbuster's venture into and through bankruptcy in an attempt to reclaim its place in the video rental world. Can you imagine the person who was behind saying no to acquiring Netflix? Can you imagine? I wonder if they have Netflix today. I wonder if they actually use it or if they're like, I am not, it's too, the the wound is too deep. I mean, this, this study is really interesting, this introduction, because this is exactly true. The internet became hugely popular between the 90s and the 2000s, Um, but especially in the 90s, I can still hear the dial up in my brain if I really think about it. Um, And for those of you who are 90s kids like me, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but there was a, a clear lack of visibility into future growth and what, even like predicting what the world would be like. And maybe it's not just the prediction of what the world would be like, but actually recognizing what trends or progressive strategies would keep Blockbuster as a competitor in the future. So poor choices, lack of future readiness um, or identifying a future ready strategy, all of those things kind of come into play here. But I share this and I, I come to this introduction because I want us to think about this through the lens of organizations not adapting to post-COVID life. So obviously we are still in the middle of living through the pandemic, figuring out how to remain safe while also enjoying our lives. More people are getting vaccinated, which is amazing. And so hopefully this will allow us to live a better quality of life more quickly. Um, Unfortunately, the virus is obviously still a threat. That's why people are still um, expected to wear a mask and social distance and I mean, we we can't we can't negate that we are still in the middle of of COVID. And so, actually, whenever someone says like that we're in a post COVID position, we're not. We are still mid COVID. Like I don't know what this is called, but thirteen months later, we are still in the thick of it. We are not out of the woods yet. And so, how are organizations going to adapt their business strategies to appeal to people today? 
and also secure their fate for 5, 10, 15 years from now. And I'm not necessarily talking about this in the sense of buying and selling consumerism or things like that. Actually, I'm talking about employee experience. As we look at this blockbuster theory, identifying that they failed to adapt their business strategy, I want us to take that and kind of flip it and look at, okay, well, how are organizations adapting their strategy for employee experience, whether that's flexible scheduling, whether that's remote work, or or even with workload and work-life balance. So all of these things are currently being challenged and turned on their heads. And I think they should be. But what I'm seeing, maybe even from my own personal experience, is that there's an opportunity for businesses to adapt and to really listen. We know that employees and people are benefiting from not going into the office every day. They have better work-life balances overall. It doesn't mean that their workload is any better, but in terms of being able to balance work and their personal life, that's been made easier People by and large are no longer commuting, so that amount of time, let's say an hour, potentially up to two hours, is being given back every single day to people. They're able to spend more time with family. And I mean, even from my own personal experience, people are more productive because they are working harder, they're working longer, and even though there's still you know, that need to balance the work and the personal life agenda, I would say that even with a bigger workload, it's probably easier to balance everything because you're working from your home. You can walk your dog in the middle of the day. You can spend time with your family, depending on what that family circle looks like. There's a little bit more freedom to adapt our days how we need to in order to get our work done, but also focus on ourselves and our personal lives. And so I don't think that it's productive for companies to forget that. And I don't, I definitely don't think it's productive for companies to say, okay, we're going to, uh, you know, stop this. Thanks for, you know, being flexible during COVID. Now everybody come back. Because I don't actually think that that's going to work out so great. I think that there's going to be employee demand for companies to provide flexible working schedules. I think that there's going to be employee demand for companies to also offer more autonomy. When I say autonomy, I'm really referencing or referring to people being able to create the schedules that they want. And so if someone wants to come in Monday through Wednesday to the office and then work remotely Thursday and Friday or vice versa or work remotely every single day until they have a meeting, I mean, I think that employees are going to want that. And you know, on this note of autonomy, I do think that this is a point for companies to progress because we see it in the tech world. We see it with like internet companies that people are, you know, there's a more progressive approach based on what I've seen to the workplace. And this is specifically around working schedules and that if you don't need eight hours to work and historically you've been in the office, you're working for your five hours and you go. Or conversely, if you don't want to come into the office and you want to work remotely, then you work from home and like you're expected to get your work done. I have a lot of friends in the tech and startup space and internet space, and this has been true for them since 
but way before COVID, that they could create their schedules and that they would be trusted to maintain their work and to get their work done. And this is one of the biggest points for me with companies today, that autonomy needs to be the focus and the the underlying factor in deciding how schedules, how work life is going to change once it's safe for everyone, arguably, objectively, to return to the office. And maybe it's safe to return to the office now. I mean, depending on the circumstances, people could have already been back to the office for months. But that doesn't mean that there is an absence or should be an absence of focusing on progressing the approach to scheduling and uh, just the, the work life in general. So rounding out to the blockbuster theory, I think this is where if companies don't adjust their scheduling, if they don't allow for more, more autonomy, if they don't or fail to listen to their employees and the demand in having flexible schedules or working remotely, whatever that might look like, whether it's through a survey or just Q&As, I mean, it can look different depending on the industry or the size of the company. I think that those companies are going to find it extremely difficult to recruit top talent because there are organizations out there that are really, really progressive and setting the stage for what the future of work will look like. And, you know, it's interesting because on the clubhouse rooms that I moderate every week with a few other women in business, one of the rooms that we moderate is like the future of work and how to best prepare ourselves for the future of work. And we've talked about this before, how we can best prepare ourselves for the future of work and to make our jobs as secure as possible. And while I definitely, and we've talked about this a lot, while I definitely believe that there are things that employees can do to set themselves up for the most success and, you know, providing themselves the most stability as possible. I actually think that the pressure is on organizations right now. I don't think that the pressure, the same pressure is on the employee as it was a year ago. Before it was employee pressure to get work done, do a good job, figure out the remote environment, figure out how to stay competitive, all of those things. But now I think that the demand has shifted to the employer. And you could argue that the employer demand was there a year ago because we needed to or employers needed to adapt the strategy totally. But I don't think that the emphasis was the same. I definitely think more of an emphasis was placed on the employee, especially because so many people lost their jobs. The employee felt all of the pressure. Now, I think it's the opposite. The market, the job market specifically, is so competitive. There are a lot of jobs, especially in my area of business and retail, it's extremely competitive. Employees can virtually go anywhere without taking a pay cut, without sacrificing on title, and and it's pretty much no problem. Um, and it's interesting because you would think, and I think that the media always kind of talks about retail as this like, quote unquote, dying industry or, you know, looking th- looking at retail with a very negative lens. But I can tell you firsthand, retail is very much alive. Um, it is extremely competitive. There are organizations that are, are 
really competing in terms of like progression and how they adapt in this new normal. I mean, there there are some significant changes in this industry, a lot of disruption. But with that disruption, there's a lot of competition for open positions. I mean, there are companies that are really struggling to fill positions. And it's not because people don't want to work necessarily. That's part of it. There is a a portion of individuals who are not yet ready to come back to the workforce, especially in retail. But the more significant portion of those people are not interested in some roles because of what they do or do not offer um, based on what the competition is offering those candidates or employees. So thinking through that, understanding or if you agree that the employer is in the hot seat and that they are under pressure to make changes, adapt, progress, then you'll find actually that employees or, or candidates, let's say, of roles are being much more picky and not just jumping into any position just because it's offered to them. I mean, there there are jobs out there. And actually, there are studies and there are webinars that you can join. I recently joined a webinar that talks about how difficult it is for certain industries, especially with uh, a need for part-time or hourly work, that it's so competitive that there are there are many challenges in finding people to fill those positions because of the competition, because of what other companies are offering compared to the other company. And so with this competition, this furthers my point that the employer is the one that needs to make the change and that needs to progress. So the blockbuster theory, I'm telling you, it is, uh, mark my words, if companies today don't adapt their strategies, their business models for the ways in which their employees work, they are not going to last. I just can't see how a business today that doesn't become progressive or pave the way for how employees work and what that looks like and giving flexibility and autonomy to how employees work, I just can't imagine those companies surviving the blockbuster theory. So if you are a decision maker, if you are head of a company or you have, you know, employees who report into you, maybe you have the opportunity to actually adjust the way your team works and what that looks like. I encourage you to really think about, are your decisions progressive? Are your decisions competing with the organizations that are are early adopters and paving the way for the future of work? Or are you behind? Most companies at this point are probably like right in the middle, Um, especially, I mean, this is super niche, right? Like not every industry is going to be able to adapt the way that they work. Like hospitals might not be able to fully adapt or adopt a new way of working. But actually there are a lot of hospitals who took certain jobs that were essential slash non-essential remote. So for example, there are hospitals who have mental health screeners or like patient screeners And they are fully remote and they do it virtually. And that's, I I think, arguably was always seen as unheard of and not an option because you needed to be in front of the patient. But this goes to show you that regardless of the industry, there's the potential to really adapt the way of work. And this obviously doesn't pull in budgeting and finances and all those things. But I'm bringing this up to share that 
regardless of the industry, there is an option there. And as long as business leaders fail to see the progress that they can make in their industry or the way that they can adapt their business model to the future of work, then they're always going to be threatened by this blockbuster theory. And there's always going to be a company that does it better, that offers better rewards, that offers better flexibility. And I just I just think that there's an opportunity at this point for every business leader to really think about, is my business model, is the way that we set up employees for success future ready? Is this the way that the world is going to work? And actually, it's probably just a moment for business leaders to think, hmm, am I progressive enough? Are we progressive enough? Are we considering that we are still in an environment today where employers are providing autonomy, they're providing flexibility, they're providing remote options, whatever that conversation looks like, because maybe the company can say, yeah, we are, we are progressive. We are offering those things. And that's a, that's great if they can say that, but if companies or business leaders are not having that internal discussion around what the future of their workplace is going to look like, then they're not remaining progressive. They're not listening to their employees. And maybe a survey is sent out and 100% of employees say, okay, we're ready to come back to the office. That's great internally, but that doesn't mean that when a position opens that you're remaining competitive for the job market because chances are that what your internal organization wants can be very different than what your potential candidates outside of your current workforce are demanding. And so I can imagine that even if internally the feeling is that there's a there's progression or that, you know, people are happy and satisfied, et cetera, and they very well might be, that externally, once you have a job open, externally there's going to be increased demand for the things that that company is now not offering and has failed to add to their progressive business model. So, you know, I, I think that this is, we are at a crossroads. We either go back to the way that, go back the way we came, right? We go back to the things that we used to do. Or we go down the other path and we change what we used to do and we change the way that we see or view or expect work to be done. And, you know, the companies that are going to veer right and go down this new path, I think are going to be extremely successful. They'll be very competitive and very progressive. But anyone going down the left fork, going back the way we came, going back to what existed before is going to miss the mark. They're going to miss the opportunity to be even more competitive and who knows, they might succumb to this blockbuster theory that I believe exists. And I also think it exists outside of COVID. We've seen from companies that have been able to adopt an e-commerce approach, like let's talk about retail, for example, even small businesses that are now um, fully functioning as an online business. Like we see all of these small businesses on TikTok, like go viral, right? Those businesses with either a 100% e-commerce approach or um, a an omni-channel approach are more progressive and more competitive than their competition. I mean, these small businesses that haven't adopted and potentially large businesses like Blockbuster, for example, who failed to adapt to changing societal and consumer demands. 
I'd love to know what you think about this. Do you believe that there's a blockbuster theory? Do you believe that there are organizations that are going to fail out because they're not adapting or progressing their business model or the way that they expect employees to work? Are there any companies that you know of that are doing a good job with progressing their ways of working? Because I would also love to know which companies are doing a great job because maybe there's an opportunity to actually have someone on this podcast to talk through how they've made changes to their business model and their employee structure. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're consuming this podcast. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, don't forget to give this video a thumbs up and I will see you next week.